0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: And uh, welcome to it. Yeah, we are ready to go. If you're ready to go, help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address we will refer to later on as we get it rolling here. Uh, everything you need to know about medical leaves, that is coming up. John Pincus is in the hot seat today. We're ready to do this. A couple week weeks that was matters off the top here. John, what do you got, pal?
2: Yeah, just a couple situations, and we'll uh, jump right into it, and uh, hopefully people will listen and, and uh, call in with uh, any similar situations that they've been uh, confronted with. So the first situation I wanted to talk about is someone who was working as a manager for a small company for about five years. And the company recently came up to him and said, well, you've been here a while now, and we think it's about time for you to sign an employment agreement. And so he thought, well, this is kind of strange. I've been here for five years already. Why would I all of a sudden be signing an employment agreement now? And besides, why do I have to sign an employment agreement when I already signed an offer letter when I started? And what they replied is they said, well, that was just a one-page offer letter. We want you to sign something more substantial now. It's for our HR records, but there's something in it for you. We're going to give you $500 for signing it very wisely, he came to me and said, well, here's an employment agreement that's been put to me. I'm not sure what's in it. Could you, I don't really understand some of the terms in here. Can you take a look through it and let me know if there's anything I need to worry about? And of course, there was plenty to be extremely concerned about in this employment contract. Uh, In addition to eliminating, uh, eliminating his rights to solicit clients for a period of time and to compete after the end of his employment, the contract contained an extremely detrimental termination of employment clause. And that termination clause limited him to his bare minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act if he was let go. So to put that in perspective, this was someone who'd been with the company for about five years, but the payroll was under $2.5 million. So if they let him go at that time, his minimum entitlements were only five weeks pay. Uh, And under the common law, the entitlement that he had by default without signing this agreement, he would have had about six months pay. So he didn't sign it. And what did the company do, of course? A few weeks later, they terminated a bunch of people, and he was one of them. And they offered him five weeks' pay. They said, here's what you're owed under the Employment Standards Act. But thankfully, because he did not sign this agreement they owe him much, much more than five weeks pay. And for this individual, that difference was actually over $32,000. Again, that's the difference. That's the difference between what they they paid him and what they offered him. Now, you're going to see a lot of this in the coming months um, as a new law from the court of appeal changes an employer's ability to legally restrict your severance entitlements. So a lot of employers are going to be giving their employees these these contracts to quote unquote, fix these illegal agreements uh, that you signed when you started your employment or when you got your most recent promotion and they will offer you money for signing them. But the devil is in the details. So please consider this a PSA. Uh, Anyone who's listening, tell your friends, tell your parents, your spouses, your children, everyone you know, do not, I repeat, do not sign these contracts without first speaking with an employment lawyer. It is so important that you understand and you know what you're signing to make sure that these contracts uh, don't limit your rights before you agree to these things. Because if you sign without getting advice, you could have just given away tens of thousands of dollars Uh, without even knowing it. So, you know, it's a general good rule of thumb. Always make sure you understand what you're signing. Seek legal advice uh, when necessary, but it is most important when you're getting an employment agreement, particularly if you're already working.
1: And by the way, to reach out to John or Leor, member of the team at the law firm, that is uh, simple, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. I know, John, you got another matter to take care of, but don't want to leave uh, Paul hanging on too long. Paul, thanks for the uh, the early call-in, pal. How are you today?
3: Hi, I'm okay, thank you. Um, just wanted to ask a question regarding uh, my situation. I am a... Uh, on odsp and uh, but i am working with some uh, restrictions now my disability once in a while you know i could be uh not working at all but i'm trying to do the best i can i have certain hourly restrictions from my doctor but uh, the odd day that i need or don't feel like i can do the go to work my employer is now you know really picking on my days and giving me uh, letters of um, uh, warnings about my attendance and, uh, you know, which is not that bad, actually. It's like uh, one, one stunt of the uh, flu uh, a couple of months ago and a couple of days off since then, since till now. Uh, if this leads to some kind of a termination because of my absence, is that okay for them to do?
2: That's a a very good question, Paul, and I'm glad you called in now because this is really the time that you can do something about it and impact the outcome here. So what I think it's very important for you to do is to the extent that you're not able to work because of your restrictions, um, you need to have a doctor's note basically explaining that to say, look, uh, there are some days that uh, Paul is not going to be able to work uh, because he, you know, because of his medical condition, and uh, I would request that you please accommodate him. And if the company unreasonably refuses to accommodate you those days, uh, they're going to be liable for human rights damages. And if they terminate your employment, they're going to be liable to you for severance and they could be liable to you for human rights damages because if their motive in any way for letting you go was tainted by your medical restrictions um, and they chose not to accommodate you when they could have, uh, then that's going to be a breach of the human rights code. So this is the time to make sure you put these things in writing ideally uh, if you can email them if you can email them just make sure you have it somewhere in writing that you're going to be able to refer to later put them on notice from your doctor that this is uh, the way that uh, this is an accommodation that you need
1: Paul, appreciate the call. We're going to take a short break here. Get right back into it. I know you got another matter to discuss, John. That and more Employment Law Show, Global News Radio.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of global news radio 640 Toronto
1: the email address help at before we get onto our topic of the day my friend you got one more uh, one more matter to talk about what was that? I do and
2: this is this is really just a brief one but uh, one that I think is really important particularly given our last caller um, so this is um, someone who was uh, let go after 20 years uh, because of performance issues and basically uh, the person that I'm talking about had worked in manufacturing and he had been working on he, his job was basically to create a, a certain piece uh, of industrial uh, a, a part that goes into industrial equipment and recently he'd been moved to a new line to create a new piece uh, and the company decided that the new pieces he was creating basically weren't up to snuff they weren't up to grade and so they gave him two warnings over the course of four weeks and they fired him for cause and this one really bothered me because this poor guy does the same thing for 20 years is now being asked to complete an entirely new tasks which he agrees to do without issue and when he needs some time to get up to speed they fire him for it and worse yet deny <sighs> him a severance package and and in this economy uh, to, to do that to someone is really Really, uh, really, just just completely insensitive. Uh, and to add insult to injury, they replaced him with someone less than half his age. And there have been a lot of older people let go in this facility, so it, it certainly suggests there's potentially some ageism going on. Uh, but most importantly, however, this is going to be someone who is going to be owed a significant severance package, uh, easily upwards of 20 months' pay. Uh, so we're going to help him to negotiate that. And this is a really good reminder that you know if your employer terminates your employment for cause, that is really one of the most important times you need to speak to an employment lawyer
1: you want to reach out to john by the way when we're not on the air as i mentioned simple 1-855-821-5900 employmentlawyer.ca is the website or help at employmentlawyer.ca while you're at the website by the way you can search past radio shows and links to our television show as well so uh Have at her anytime you want. Everything you need to know about medical leaves. This is really important, especially, well, it is all the time, but especially now with COVID-19 and all that stuff. We're going to get into some of these talking points. I know, John, you've narrowed down a, a few of these. There's a long list, but you got the ones more condensed for the show for the remainder of the day. First one is this. How long can somebody be away from work for medical reasons? This is a, a really important question, I think, for people to consider, especially right now.
2: You know, Under the Employment Standards Act, there is a certain amount of, of sick, so-called sick days that, that you get, but mm-hmm. the reality is is that uh, if you have a medical condition that prevents you from going to work, you can be away and should be away as long as your doctor instructs you to do so. You submit timely medical notes, and if it's not safe for you to go back, your doctor validates it's not safe for you to go back, your employer cannot force you to be back in the workplace place. And on this point, I just want to raise something uh, when it comes to disability benefits, because often what happens here is that someone will get a disability benefits denial, and the employer will be copied on that. And so the employer will say, oh, well, uh, you don't have a disability, so we'll see you on Monday. And the employees left they're yep. saying, well, well, hang on, my, still, my doctor doesn't agree with this. And if your doctor has a note saying that it's not safe for you to go to work, listen to your doctor. Your employer is not a doctor, yep. and disability benefits denial does not equal an obligation
1: to end your medical leave very very important does your dog pardon me does the employer rather have the right to ask an employee for their medical information and a diagnosis the employer is only entitled to information
2: necessary to accommodate and plan for the employee's return. Now, the employer absolutely does have the right to the prognosis, to the uh, sim- symptoms that will impact that employee's ability to work, uh, how long that employee supposed, uh, is going to be out, if it's foreseeable, if that employee is going to return in the near future, uh, but not the diagnosis. This is really a need to know basis uh, kind of thing. Uh, so, often what an employer will do, and this is completely appropriate, is they'll give you a functional, uh, what's called a functional abilities form. And common questions include lifting capabilities, how much can you lift, how long can you sit, how long can you stand. Uh, maybe the, your employer is going to ask you about psychological restrictions. For example, if you have a condition uh, that is exacerbated by stress and you have a high st- uh, stress position, you do have to submit these uh, functional ability, or sometimes called FAF forms. Uh, you do have to um, answer reasonable questions that are asked by your employer, but there is a limit to that. So if you think that your employer might be overstepping the line here, then, then certainly give us a call and we can help you navigate that.
1: We'll take a short break, guys. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Yeah, welcome back indeed. Uh, when we're not here doing the show, you can reach out. STlawyers.ca is the firm website and help at employmentlawyer.ca for email as well. I think uh, we have Paul on the line. And hey, Paul, how are you? Hey, hi, guys. How
3: are
1: you doing? Yeah. No worries. What's the... yeah? Go ahead. Yeah, we yeah, can. Go I... ahead.
3: I I had the uh, question about my uh, accommodation uh, at work Uh, right now my doctor suggested I do uh, just the five hours or so uh, a day so I'm really losing three hours of uh, work but if my doctor would put the remaining Three hours is a uh, like you know a sit down job where I can't be on my feet. Uh, do they have to accommodate it? And if they don't or they can't because there isn't not anything for me to do, would that be considered a frustration of contract uh, because they cannot accommodate me for the full eight
2: hours? Uh, Paul, what do you what do you do for a living? What's your job?
3: It's a um, warehouse type job, which just mostly physical work, right?
2: Right, right. Now, is this the kind of job that uh, you would be able to do sitting down, practically speaking?
3: No, there's really nothing available for clerical and stuff like that. So right. I'm just, right. you know, yeah. so there is nothing, uh, you know.
2: Right. So, so effectively, you can really only do your job five hours per day. And and is that is that going to be permanent, or are you going to eventually get back up to eight hours a day?
3: No, it's pretty much permanent. I'm I'm on I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm disabled. Uh, I have a uh, disability and uh, uh, I'm stretching my limits uh, with what I'm doing already, but um, I'm losing in the end of three hours, right? So, uh, or if my doctor would actually say, I cannot do this job five hours or, or any hours anymore, uh, and they can't accommodate me even with that, would that also be a frustration of contract? Either or, if you can
2: Right. Okay. So yeah, let's, let's go over a couple scenarios here. So certainly if you, if your doctor comes out and says that you cannot work any hours per day, zero hours per day, and this condition is permanent or for the foreseeable future, certainly that would meet the the test for frustration of contract. Your employer would then owe you only your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act, right? So just your minimum termination and and, and if applicable severance pay, that's it. Um, If, on the other hand, your doctor is saying Paul can work five hours per day, but can't work any more than that. And this five hours per day is going to be permanent. And the company says, well, that's okay with us. He can, he can work five hours per day. We're going to pay him for five hours per day. And we're okay with having him work that job five hours per day. That is not going to be, in, in my view, that's not going to be frustration of contract. I think that's actually an employer fulfilling their duty to accommodate. Uh, and you have a corresponding duty to cooperate with that. So if you decide that you're not prepared to do that, even though your employer is matching your doctor's advice, uh, um, that will very most likely uh, be deemed an involuntary resignation if you choose not to do it, or am a I voluntary still, resignation, I, excuse me.
3: Am I still on? Am I still on?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah but the, the remaining, if, he, if the remaining three hours would be uh, another accommodation such as uh, sit-down work and they can't accommodate those remaining three hours, so the five hours are taken care of, okay, but these three hours uh, uh, is another accommodation of sitting down, and they can't accommodate that because it doesn't exist or, you know, or they don't want to accommodate that. Uh, is, would that be considered? For the remaining three hours.
2: Yeah, I, I see your point. Um, I, I, I'm not aware of, of any examples of, of, of courts or, or the Ministry of Labor um, holding that because part of a position became impossible to do um, with the rest remaining intact, that that meets the test for frustration of contract. Um, you know, if if this is something that you feel that it's really not the same position at all and effectively, you know, you can't, you can't work there anymore. Um, there, that, that, that may be, I suppose, an argument that that, uh, employment is frustrated because part of your job is impossible to do. But, uh, from my perspective, I, I tend to think that would probably not be frustration of contract just because the majority of your job can still be done. And the reduction in three hours is, is at your behest, um, and, and the company is, is doing that. So I, it- I don't go ahead.
3: Sorry, Sorry, the first one you mentioned about the uh, not being able to accommodate at all, like if I can't work at all, would that be a human rights issue?
2: No, no. If you can't work at all uh, and your employer says, well, if you can't work at all, then we don't have a job for you. There's no human rights issue there because your employer has not taken any action to breach your human rights. That's a simple employment standards issue. It's a minimum termination and severance pay issue. Um, it's where you are able to go back with some accommodations. For example, if your doctor says, go back five hours per day and the company says, oh yeah, we, we don't really want to do that. And clearly they could have done that. That's when it becomes a human rights issue, but nothing you've described strikes me as, as a, as a human rights issue here.
3: Okay. So, uh, then, uh, so, so then uh, if they can't, if my doctor says I cannot do the job anymore, uh, who would I contact to I mean yeah, it's an employment lawyer uh but it it would just be uh a, a frustration of contract if I couldn't do it anymore correct right
2: yeah you know and 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 if you get a note from your doctor saying that you can't do the job anymore you don't you don't actually have to contact an employment lawyer right away i mean all, all you need to do is send that to uh your employer um and hopefully they will know that in response to that what they should be doing. Um, is uh, is giving you your minimum termination pay. So it's only if that doesn't happen you need to talk to uh, an employment lawyer.
1: Paul, appreciate the call back. Uh, we're going to let you go. we got to move on to uh, some other things and uh, a break as well right here, right now. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. This is Employment Law Show on Global News Radio.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Help at Employment Lawyer CA is the website. Anybody uh, in your time, right? If you want more information and we're not doing the show, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Tons of information on there. It really is like having an employment lawyer right tucked into your phone or your tablet. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Absolutely free. Absolutely anonymous. They'll take full advantage of, uh, of that. Everything you need to know about medical leaves. What happens, Mr. Pink, as to an employee's job while on a medical leave? Do they have a regular update their employer on their condition? And if they do, how often should they be doing that? Yes, John, they they
2: definitely do need to be updating their employer. Uh, And and you should, uh, if if you're on a medical leave, I I usually recommend at least every few weeks to send a regular uh, updated medical note. Do not disappear on your employer. That is always a bad idea. Uh, I know that people are not going to be uh, enthusiastic and justifiably so about going into your doctor. So remember, there are a lot of virtual doctor visits um, that are available. There are ways to uh, get a note from your doctor, often without, actually seeing your doctor Um, and so I would look into that as far as your job your job is uh, to be held for you Uh, the employer will likely need to have a temporary a replacement uh, if that is going to be an extended leave but they do have to hold your position or a comparable position unless that position is eliminated for reasons that are completely unrelated to your leave
1: Again, phone calls 416-870-6400 to, uh, to call through, ask John a question the remainder of the show. What should someone do if they aren't approved, they're not approved for disability coverage like LTD, or their claim is cut off, which eventually will be, as we know, at at some time? What should they do? Right. Well, you know, if you listen to the Disability Law Show, you'll know that at ST Law, we have
2: disability lawyers dealing with this every day. And you will also know that yep. uh, LTD disability providers rut- uh, routinely deny claims. And disability claims can be worth an enormous sum of money because they typically cover up to age 65. Uh, you do need to act quickly uh, if you're denied. So uh, definitely give a disability lawyer uh, a call and make sure that uh, you are getting your rights under your policy.
1: And it is also wise because you guys do the same thing. If you can go to a firm like ST Law that does both employment and disability because there is so much crossover between the two, there's interplay. That happens, and if you're dealing with one firm here, another firm down the block, sometimes the communication is not always uh, as robust as it should be, right? Well it just I find that it just slows things down. I've I've had that experience yeah. where I'm uh
2: very rarely because usually people will will come to us for both things, but in very rare circumstances um I have seen people go elsewhere for disability claims and it really just slows things down immensely. Yeah. Um yeah. so if you want things to to move quickly, it is always best to go to the same firm for for both things
1: email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca we'll try to get to some of those a little later on in the show what should an employee do now we've gone to the end of of whatever their medical uh, their medical leave is the reason why it doesn't matter but uh, when they're ready to return to work from a medical leave what do they need to do what are the first couple steps well, the first thing you need to
2: do is go to your doctor. Go to your doctor and get clearance to return to work. Uh, have your doctor uh, record, write a note about any accommodations that you need. Are you going to need a graduated return to work? Are you going to need to, like the example we were talking with Paul, you know, you need to start five hours, maybe then you, you eventually go up to eight hours. Do you need to have maybe just a couple days per week? Uh, and then once you have that information, Email that as an attachment to your supervisor, to your human resources, to your manager, and ask what would be a practical start date. And and hopefully everything works
1: smoothly. And what happens if your employer says, ah, you know what, no, you're not coming back. Not right now anyway. What do you do? Well, that's the time they need to give us a call at SD
2: Law, speak right. with myself or, or another employment lawyer at the firm. And if your employer's saying they can't accommodate you, uh, consider whether you can propose some alternatives. So, for example, we see a lot of employees now working from home, telecommuting. Consider whether that's a job uh, that can be performed from home, or whether it's something you need to physically be there. Uh, consider what you can do to facilitate that if you're if if you can uh, if that's what your accommodation needs for you to be at home. Uh, get a more detailed note from your doctor explaining the nature of your condition showing that you are able to return to the job and and ultimately if your employer can't return uh, you back to work or they won't return you back to work um, they're going to owe you some severance they could owe you a significant amount of severance and they could owe you some human rights damages if they just chose to replace you
1: because you took a medical leave the number is 416-870-6400 to ask your questions here for the remainder of the show john thank you for uh, taking some time this afternoon how are you pal
4: Oh, very well, guys. Thank you very much for taking my call. I have a weird call, a weird question. Uh, My girlfriend started working for a company about two months ago, and I've been working, you know, for 40 years here in Canada, so this is the bizarre thing. And these two months, she has yet to receive a pay stub indicating how much taxes, how much deduction does she do to her, so she will know exactly what she is deducting at the end of the, the two weeks. Now she gets this money deposit in her account, but yet she has no idea how much money she withdraws. So she asked the company, like, where's my pay stub? And the company says, we're working on it. And then she called the labor board. The labor board said, well, you have to deal with your employee. So she's getting nowhere. Right. big circ- I've never seen that before.
2: Right. Well, uh, yeah. This is this is definitely a, a weird one, but it's an employment standards issue, and and this is actually one of those situations where going to the Ministry of Labor is the right way to go. This is this this is as opposed to severance. And you know, uh, John, we all often talk about how uh, uh, severance is not an issue that you should go to the Ministry of Labor for, but wage statements are certainly right. an employment standards issue. Um, so, John, what I can tell you is that yes, under the Employment Standards Act, uh, an employer has to provide. The the employee with what's called a wage statement uh, that sets out the gross amount of wages and the deductions, the purpose of those deductions, the net amount of wages. Those right. wage statements have to be in writing, uh, and if, um, uh, if if they can uh, not be provided uh, in writing, I mean these days they should be provided by email. So it's absolutely an employment standards issue. Um, if it uh, if it becomes recurring. Uh, f- uh, you know, again and again, and she still has no idea. You know what deductions are being made. Too
4: much now, and nobody yeah. in the facility has received a piece of. Not the cooks, not the therapist, not the, the cleaning oh, lady. Wow. Nobody has nobody. received. Nobody. So she's yeah. like, is this? Is this something under the table that's going on that nobody knows about? Because when they ask directly to the managers, it's like, hey guys, I've been here for two months. I have to receive a pay stub. Oh, we're working on it. Well, working on it doesn't tell me what I'm I'm getting paid, what I'm deducting for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just some lump of money that's been put into my bank account. I don't know if it's a fraudulent thing. Uh, Maybe I'm going to get a T4 at the end of the year. Maybe I'm not. Kind of an idea, you know? well,
2: well wage statements John wage statements are an obligation uh, and if you're not and if she's not getting anywhere with the employer I, I would recommend formally getting uh, the employment standards branch involved And the way to do the or the Ministry of Labor and the employment standards at the Ministry of Labor involved way to do that is I would start a complaint uh, and and basically state in that complaint that she's not getting wage statements uh, and has not got one uh, for two two months and uh, that'll lead to an employment standards officer investigating uh, and making an order and and there could be fines uh, so, so that this doesn't happen again. But that's, that's the way to do it. Um, this is not an issue that you really need an employment lawyer for. You can just go straight to the uh, Ministry of Labor.
1: John, appreciate the call. I hope that helps out. And follow up, if you would, uh, if you want to, help at employmentlawyer.ca's email address. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome back to the show. Now help at employmentlawyer.ca. Want to carry on after the show is done? Get a hold of John or or member of the team, 1-855-821-5900. STlawyers.ca is the firm website as well. Use it, get some information. One more question for you when it comes to medical leaves and something we were talking about a couple segments ago with Paul. And the prospect of not returning to work. And we're throwing around the term frustration of contract. Um, What happens in that case? Right. So, if you're
2: so sick, uh, or or you have a an injury that is going to prevent you from coming back to work ever, you can truly never go back, and your doctor has validated that. And you're not going to get your full severance, but you are still going to have an entitlement, and that entitlement is going to be to the minimum amount of severance under the Employment Standards Act. And of course, we always talk about those differences on this show, and it's it's quite significant. Uh, you know, you may be entitled to only ten weeks under the Employment Standards Act but you could be entitled to, you know, six or nine months under the common law. So this is one of those few examples where you really do only get your minimum amount. But we see some employers who sometimes refuse to pay anything. And if they refuse to pay anything, that's when you need to get an employment lawyer. Now, in terms of when, you know, when uh, this this becomes, uh, you know, situation of if you can never return because a lot of questions we get is well you know there's really no set time period but my employer is saying I've been away for for two years so my employment's frustrated you know this is a this is what we call the myth of the two-year rule and and it comes from disability disability benefits policies which only pay benefits if an individual cannot perform any job after two years but for employment purposes that that there really is no such rule I mean you can be out of work for three or four years and as long as it's foreseeable for you to come back, you're not going to be in this camp, you're not going to be in this situation of frustration of employment. So, you know, if you're not able to go back to work uh, and your employer is not giving you any severance, that's a time to call an employment lawyer. And if your employer is telling you that that your employment has been frustrated and you may have some prospect of going back to work, that is an uh, even more important time uh, to call an employment lawyer.
1: Want to get an email uh, slid in here as I promised you would? Barbara's up first cause guys, I don't uh, I don't feel comfortable going back to work because of COVID-19. But my employer is calling me back. Do I have to go? Barbara, generally
2: speaking, yes, if your employer is calling you back to work and you don't have a specific safety concern that you can identify uh, and ask your employer to fix, you do have an obligation to go back. Now, you may be eligible for a leave. You may be eligible for infectious disease of emergency leave if you have children to take care of uh, due to daycare or school closures. Uh, you may have the ability to take a medical leave of absence if your doctor has validated um, that you are, that a is not safe for you to return to work right now but if you really just have kind of a generalized anxiety uh completely understandable uh, about not wanting to go into the workplace uh currently you know the law is going to expect you to take those measures that will protect you and others like mask wearing like social distancing but if you want to continue in your position without that being a resignation you do have to um you know attend work as required
1: Pardon me. Trevor's up next. Says, guys, how many warnings am I allowed before a company can terminate me for cause for attendance? For attendance.
2: Yeah. So this in terms, this is a question of progressive discipline. And there's there's technically no set rule about how many warnings someone needs to get usually uh, we like to see at least three or four but it's also important sort of how those are spaced out so if you get three or four warnings uh, like the example I talked about at the beginning of the hour uh, where someone's been employed for 20 years and they get three to four warnings but in a very short period of time that's probably not going to be valid uh, because there's no time for meaningful improvement and the other thing is you know are those warnings fair right are you uh, is your attendance impact by uh, the fact that you have to uh, look after your children. Is, are those warnings fair in light of how, uh, how long you are actually late for work? Are we talking about five, ten minutes, or are we talking about two hours? So um, it's not a warning in and of itself is not going to be enough uh, to terminate for cause, and attendance is a pretty high bar, so it has to be something quite egregious uh, with substantial warnings over a, a long period of time before that's going to come anywhere near uh, just cause for dismissal.
1: Joe. Hey, Joe. How are you?
3: Hi. I'm good, thanks. Beautiful. Just wondering, my question is actually I'm calling for uh, my sister and my brother-in-law. They both recently got, some, um, well, I would say it's constructive dismissal from their job. They were both working at the same place, and a new manager took over and gave them a letter saying that they were going to dramatically cut both their pays. Um, he was a the manager there of one area, and she ran the front office and they've both been working there for 15 or over 15 years and i'm just wondering how much severance they would end up getting
2: well, the first thing, Joe, of course, we have to do is determine whether that's a constructive dismissal. Uh, now, now we're seeing a lot of temporary pay cuts, and temporary pay cuts in this environment may not be actually a constructive dismissal. So that's the first thing that we need to think about. If it's a permanent pay cut and it's a substantial pay cut, then of course uh, it very likely would be a constructive dismissal. Uh, in that case, if you've got someone who's a manager who's been there for for 15 years, I mean, one of the things I'd want to I'd want to know is is how how old, um, your sister and your brother-in-law are?
4: He
3: is 54 or 55 and she's 51.
2: Right, right. Okay. So this is a situation where I'd say they could be entitled to upwards of 16 or 18 months, uh, pay and benefits if it's deemed a constructive dismissal. So, uh, I would strongly recommend that they uh, give us a call to do so as soon as possible because with constructive dismissals, you have to act quickly, but you you do not want to act without speaking to an employment lawyer first because we have to determine that this actually is a constructive dismissal. Uh, but, yes, yeah, 16 and 18 months is, is potentially what's at stake here. So uh, it's a very important call to make, and I would strongly encourage them both to do so
1: for sure thank you very much you're welcome thank you joe appreciate the call and the number to follow up with john one 821 5900 help at we'll take a short break employment law show global news radio
0: you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of global news radio 640 toronto
1: welcome back indeed last few minutes of the show for this week after the show one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. help at employment is the way we roll janet thanks for hanging on through the break good afternoon oh good afternoon how are you fantastic how are you doing
4: I have a question. It's not about Great. disability. I've been listening to your show, though, and so it's a little off from that. But anyway, my uh, I'm calling on behalf of somebody, and they were started a job in January, January the 13th, and they were laid off, temporary laid off due to COVID on March the 27th, and they got a letter in that regard. And about three weeks ago, they got a text on their cell saying, we're still working on the... Situation. Uh, we'll get in touch in you, with you when uh, you know things improve. I'm wondering. We're into the fourth month now, or have the fourth month of CERB. Mm-hmm. Um Should he go looking for another job? It, like, well, it's another two months. Uh,
2: Right. Well, Janet, it's not really for me to say in terms of whether he should look for another job. But what I can say is that if he decides that he wants to pursue a severance package, um, that is an option that he can explore with us. Um, through a, a consultation and I would recommend that he do so. Uh, this is the kind of situation where we can we can usually do a, a, a quick free consultation just to go over um, his options because um, if he's thinking that uh, they're not going to be recalling him back soon, they, they actually may decide that they're not going to recall him for uh, a very long time because under the Employment Standards Act, uh, all layoff periods are suspended. Um, and so it, it may be a very long time before he is called back and he may not be called back at all. So, uh, you know, you're going to read and see a lot about how the layoff provisions have been amended in the Employment Standards Act and remember that is something entirely different if he's not agreed to temporary layoffs as a term of his employment. So during that consultation we'd explore whether he signed anything agreeing to temporary layoffs and if he hasn't uh, then, you know, as far as we're concerned, this is a constructive dismissal so I would strongly recommend for him to give us a call.
1: Okay. Shall do that. Thank you, Janet. Beautiful. Love it. Here's the number, Janet. one for 821 5900 to contact. Uh, reach out for sure. one 821 5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. Moving on to uh, Kamal. Kamal, thanks for the email. He says, I've been working at a plant for 20 years that just got bought out by a new company. The new company is offering me a job. What happens if I say no? The answer to this depends on what that new company is offering.
2: So if they are offering Kamal the same job, same pay, same conditions, not limiting his rights in any way, if he says no to that job, uh, then he is only going to be owed his minimum amount of severance from his old company. Now, if the new company company, from the old company, right, from the vendor, the company that that was selling the business, if the new company is offering a new job but let's say you know it's not the same job they're trying to impose a termination clause or they're you know or they're saying you know now we're going to put a non-competition clause of some kind on you and, and change the terms of your employment well then he may be able to say no to that job and seek his full severance entitlements again from the old employer from the vendor uh of of the business in this case so um i, I think that the best thing for him to do is uh, kamal uh, Give us a call. Send us that job offer. Let's talk about it, and let's see if it's actually comparable so you know how much severance you're actually going to be entitled to from your old uh, employer if you say no.
1: we got one minute left. I'll squeeze in. Sean says, I'm a manager and work 50 hours per week. Every week my employer refuses to pay overtime. What should I do? Right. So the, generally speaking, if you work over 44 hours per week, per week, you
2: are going to be entitled to overtime pay. But if you are a manager, I mean a true manager, yeah. you're, you know, you're delegating duties to others, yep. you're, you're actually spending your day doing managerial duties, then you're going to be subject to an exemption and you're not going to receive overtime pay. So, Sean, if you're not sure whether you're actually a manager under the employment standards act, give us a call and we can figure that out. But otherwise, if you actually are a manager as the act defines it, you're actually going to be exempt from overtime pay, unfortunately.
1: And we are done for another day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out. If you managed to call through and send an email, appreciate that. Every uh, every time we do the show, you'll want to reach out now, one 821 5900 Always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website, and email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Catch you next time. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.